Welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. Again, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13 will be our text for the morning. This morning we're finishing up several weeks being spent in the New Testament book of Hebrews. Our text for this day is found in the last chapter of the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. In a few moments I'll begin reading at the first verse of Hebrews 13. Before I read the text, may I have just a moment of personal privilege to to uh, say thank you to all of you who prayed for uh, Tammy and for me as we traveled to Peru last week uh, on a mission ministry trip with Compassion International. Uh, Next week, Tammy and I will be sharing the pulpit in all three worship services and we'll be talking about compassion and we'll be also particularly talking about the time and the experiences that we had while in Peru. But let me just say at this point that um, being in Peru, and most of our time there was spent on the coast, either in the slums outside of Lima, a very huge city, or further north, uh, out in the country in small villages, I don't know that I've ever experienced the kind of poverty that we experienced while we were traveling there in Peru. In the midst, though, and this is really what impacted us in so many ways, in the midst of that great, great poverty, we found great love. We found great joy. We found a fervent, passionate faith in Jesus Christ. We found a remarkable amount of gratitude. And that had a huge impact on those of us that travel from developed nations to developing nations to see the poverty, see the struggles, but still find the joy, the gratitude, and the love and the great, great faith. Tammy and I will say a little more about this next week, but I come back from Peru realizing that there's a lot we could do to help alleviate some of the suffering there, to help the children grow up in ways that will enable them to break the cycle of poverty. And you'll learn some of that next week with our Compassion Weekend and our Compassion Experience out in the uh, parking circle. While there's a lot we can do to help alleviate some of the great, great poverty there, there is so much that they can teach us about joy and gratitude and contentment and love and a fervent, passionate faith in Jesus Christ. Tammy and I will say a little more about this next week. Our text for this morning is found in the book of Hebrews, the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 13. This is the last chapter in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is written to a Christian community in the first century, 
a Christian community that is finding life very difficult, a Christian community that is paying a great cost for their faith in Christ. And here at the end of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, in really rapid-fire succession, kind of like Paul would do in some of his letters, gives us a list of practical advice for the living of life in these days. And keep in mind, he's giving this list of practical advice to people who are living in the midst of great persecution, great prosecution, and a culture that is antagonistic and hostile to their faith. But still yet, this is what the author of Hebrews writes to them. Let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Remember those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. Let marriage be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled. For God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, and at this point the author quotes the book of Deuteronomy, for he said, God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Verse 6, so we can say with confidence, and here he quotes what we call Psalm 118, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anyone do to me? And then he continues, verse 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Then verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And in light of all of this, the author of Hebrews then instructs the community that each one of them should make their lives an act of worship. Look at verses 14 and 16. Through him then, in light of all that he said, through him then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Church, would you pray with me? Shepherd us, O God, beyond our wants, beyond our fears, from death into life. We gather this day, God, with your people around the world, around this table, seeking the presence of Jesus Christ in this meal. May this truly be a time of great fellowship of Holy Communion with the living Christ and with one another. 
As we receive more of His grace for us today, may we continue on our journey of being transformed. We pray, God, that we might truly be, truly live as the people of Jesus Christ in this world. We thank you for that unique, peculiar calling upon our lives to live as your people. We pray, God, that through the flame of your Holy Spirit in this place this morning, you will melt our cold, hard hearts. We pray that through your Spirit's work in this place today, that we will be intoxicated, overwhelmed by the wine of your blood in Jesus Christ. Take us, God. Possess us, make us completely and perfectly yours. May we experience this moment and every moment the new life that's ours in Jesus Christ. For we pray in the power of his name. Amen. This book, the book of Hebrews, is written to a group of Christians, perhaps living in the city of Rome. We see at the end of the letter that there's a reference to the Christians, the believers in Italy. So perhaps this is written to a group of Christians there in Rome. And it's a group of Christians as perhaps second generation after the coming of Jesus, perhaps even third generation after the coming of Jesus, who are in danger. They're in danger of prosecution. They're in danger of persecution. Their family and their friends do not understand this newfound faith to which they are bearing allegiance. But the greater danger to this group to whom this letter, actually sermon, is addressed, is that they float away from Jesus Christ. They float away, they fall away from Jesus Christ, they return to life as they knew it, B.C., before Christ. They return to life that makes living easier for them there in the society surrounding that great ancient eternal city of Rome. That's the greater danger they're facing here. That danger is far greater than any of the physical danger that they are experiencing. And we know they're experiencing physical danger. The author of this book at one point says to them, you have not yet resisted to the point of blood. But the author makes it pretty clear that they probably will at some point. And we actually know from Christian tradition and history, they will there in Rome at some point. They will resist to the point of blood. We know that in the persecution that comes in the middle of the 60s AD, both Peter and Paul will lose their lives there in Rome. This is written to the community that's en route to those days. This letter is being written to them to encourage them. It really is an exhortation. It says that in the text. It really is a sermon to encourage them to to not walk away from Christ. You know, most of us that walk away from Christ do not do it suddenly. It's like the slow leak of a tire. We don't even perceive that the leak is there, and before we know it, the tire is flat. 
That's how most people walk away, wander away from life in Christ, just little by little. And the author of Hebrews is watching that happen with the early Christian community gathered there in that particular city. And he's trying to encourage them. That's why we've already seen, as we've studied the book of Hebrews together, that the author has pointed out to them that they need to remember that great cloud of witnesses that surrounds them. They need to remember that great cloud of witnesses that are presented to us in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. They should remember that great cloud of witnesses that is watching them run the race of this life. We are reminded by these stained glass windows that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We are reminded every time we come to this table that all the company of heaven also joins this meal with us. We need to remember that great cloud of witnesses and allow that to be an encouragement for us as we continue to not sprint but run the marathon that is the Christian life. So this author here is saying, remember the great cloud of witnesses so that you might keep going forward. Remember to focus, to fix your eyes on Jesus. We've looked at that. To fix your eyes on Jesus. Not the other competitors in the race, but fix your eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, our source and our goal of living. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the suffering of the cross. So remember Jesus. Remember the joy set before Jesus, the joy set before us, and may that allow us to keep pressing forward. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to say to the people there. And here in the 13th chapter of this remarkable exhortation, we find a rapid-fire list, almost in Pauline fashion. I don't think Paul wrote this letter, but almost in Pauline fashion, we find a rapid-fire list of practical suggestions or advice or commandments, if you will, to follow as we seek to keep pressing on. So he says a lot, just a few verses here. And I want you to notice what he says to this community that is finding themselves in the midst of persecution, finding themselves in the midst of a hostile world, society, a world that doesn't appreciate their faith, that doesn't appreciate their living for Christ, that really would try to get them to do otherwise because we, as we find ourselves in a post-Christian society here in the West, we're increasingly finding ourselves in a society that's not very encouraging of us to walk the walk in Christ. So we need to learn from the author of Hebrews, how should we then respond when the world around us is hostile? How should we then respond when the world around us refuses to encourage us and perhaps might even attack us because of our faith in Christ. How should we then respond? I think if I were to go to uh, Christians here in the United States of America and ask them, how should we respond to growing secularization here in the West, to growing evidence of a post-Christian culture, I think I would find a lot of Christians in this culture who would say to me that we need to stand up and be more opinionated. That's the way we respond 
to a society that doesn't encourage us or embrace our faith. We become more opinionated. We become more contentious. We fight the culture wars. But that's not, as you've noticed, how the author of Hebrews tells this community to respond to a society that doesn't understand them, that perhaps is persecuting them, that might even at some point, and it certainly will, take their lives. Instead of fighting those cultural wars in a great opinionated fashion, the author here says the way you respond is by letting mutual love continue. When the world around us doesn't understand or support us, we get the world's attention by out-loving the world. That's the way we respond. It's amazing when you look at this practical advice that's being offered to community under severe persecution and oppression and oppression and pressure from society. The author says, let mutual love continue. Out-love them. Verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality. Not just to the people we know, not just to the people we like, not just to the people who are like us. Notice what the text says. Show hospitality to strangers. Those people that we don't know, those people that we'd prefer not to welcome, those people who are very different from us, perhaps even those people that are even antagonistic toward us. It says, show hospitality to strangers. Open your homes, open your hearts to the people around you, to the strangers around you who are in need of hospitality. We should live with unbounded, unboundaried hearts to the world around us, showing hospitality because as the author says, sometimes when we show hospitality to strangers, we are entertaining angels without even knowing it. I'm sure the author here is thinking back to what we call Genesis 18 when Sarah and Abraham received three guests and at least two of them turned out to be angels. So the author continues with practical advice in the midst of this culture that is exerting pressure on you to walk away from Christ. Remember those who are in prison, the author says, as those you were in prison with them. I think the implication is here that some of their own number perhaps are in prison. We won't know that for sure. It could be strangers in prison. And the text here says we should remember those in prison. I'm sure the author of Hebrews is calling to remembrance the words of Jesus. Where Jesus was one time saying to the crowd, when I was in prison, you visited me. And you do that by visiting the prisoners that you find there. So the author says, remember those who are in prison as though, as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being mistreated, and the word here actually is tortured. Remember to visit those who are being tortured as those you yourselves were being tortured. Again, perhaps he's talking about something that's happening to the community. So be there for those who are in prison. Be there for those who are being tortured. Then verse 4 is a rather startling verse. In the midst of all this practical advice about how to respond to people who don't understand or embrace your way of living, he says in verse 4, let marriage be kept in honor by all. 
wonder why all of a sudden he shifts to marriage in the midst of this. Let marriage be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled, for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Wow. I almost wish that wasn't there, but I didn't write this. It's there. Make sure marriage is honored. Keep the marriage bed undefiled. And that fornicators, fornicators are those who participate in sexual immorality before marriage or outside of marriage. And adulterers, that's the people who participate in sexual immorality who are married, but they still participate in sexual immorality. He says, God will judge fornicators and adulterers. You see, in the first century, and throughout most of human history, but particularly in the first century in the Greco-Roman world, the Greeks and the Romans, they saw human sexuality as, as just a means of pleasure, a means of recreation. You think we invented that in our culture, don't you? Well, not not true. The ancient world, particularly the Greco-Roman world, um, in the eyes of the Jewish community and the Christian community, lived lives of great sexual immorality. They did not honor the marriage bed. It was just recreation for them. It was just a means of pleasure for them. And they just simply did what their passions and their pleasures and their emotions told them to do. And that's why the Jewish world and then the Christian world, coming on the heels of the Jewish world, we've always been a little prudish, a little puritanical about sexual ethics and the marriage bed. Sexual activity within the confines of marriage is a beautiful thing, but outside the confines of marriage, we have major concerns. So the author of Hebrews just sprinkles this in here. He's saying, do not accommodate the culture around you. But remember what you were taught in both the Jewish and now the Christian faith. Look at verse 5. He continues to get more and more personal. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That's so hard for us. I was powerfully reminded of that traveling Peru last week. We were in some areas of great poverty and some homes of great poverty. Tammy and I visited in one particular home I'll I'll never forget. I don't want to forget it. There's moments I wish I could. I don't want to forget it, though. We were visiting one particular home. It was a mother and a father and five children. There was a dirt floor. Three walls were stucco, or two walls were stucco, and two walls were basically bamboo that let the breeze in, that let the, uh, the breeze in because it's usually very hot in Peru, but also it let other animals in. I've never made a pastoral visit before in such poverty where I I had to watch a little mouse run around the whole time I'm visiting with this family. And I felt so Western and so privileged because I'm worried about the little mouse running around the room. We're visiting with that family, mother, father, there are five children there. The father tells us his story. And the fascinating thing is if I were to close my eyes and forget I was talking through an interpreter, it would be the same sort of conversations I've had a thousand times here in this culture. Parents are parents all over the world. Children are children all over the world. Parents want what they want for their children, the same all over the world. And, 
And children want the same all over the world. And, and they know, by the way, how we live up here because for good or for ill, U.S. television is now worldwide. So they know what life is like for us. I'm speaking with that father and mother and the kids are there. As I speak to the father, he tells me his story. He says he gets up every morning at 2 a.m. to walk two and a half hours in order to harvest rice.